Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Now, I'm joined now by Adam Harris, founder and CEO of As I Am, which is Ireland's national autism charity. Adam, you're very welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Brendan. And congratulations on your engagement. Thank you very much. Uh, who proposed? Was it a surprise? Uh, it was a surprise. Uh, we knew we were always going to get married, but uh, we I didn't know when. And uh, we were on a trip to London last week and we were going to see the ABBA show in London and we were having dinner and just beforehand uh, he popped the question. So okay. here we are. Okay, now, uh, I'm going to ask you a lot of what will seem like nosy questions now, but you are good to talk about this and Absolutely. you are happy to 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 tell people a, a little bit uh, and again it's another part of you sharing uh, the life experience of a person of an artistic person uh, is your fiance neurotypical he is and it's a funny question that you ask because it's actually it's an assumption a lot of people make so so often people will actually just assume he must be autistic <laughs> as well or ask me and i think that's just something that's deep in the irish psyche it goes back to i think when you're a child and very often people assume autistic children will make friends with other autistic children yeah i think the truth is autistic people tend to gravitate and make friends with people who share our interests and Daniel is someone who shares a lot of the same interests as me so I'm somebody who absolutely loves history that's what I do in my my pastime if you like and he's a history teacher so that helps Okay. Did you have to tell him about your autism? How how did you meet or Yeah so Obviously, Daniel is a teacher, so has an interest in the area of autism as a result. And he studied in Cork. He worked in Cork for a time and I was visiting, giving a talk there in UCC. And that's where we first met. I suppose I'm in a really unusual position in many respects when it comes to autism and disclosure because one of the big ticket items for many autistic people is do I tell or do I not tell? Is it? Comes up a lot in the workplace as a starting point you know do I tell my boss do I not tell my boss a, a survey we did last year 75% of people said they wouldn't tell their boss but I've never had to worry about that because it's my job yeah. and in the same respect because obviously I'm very open about my autism I give interviews like this people know that I'm autistic so that actually removes a huge burden whereas I think for many people there's that really difficult decision you know where you're talking to somebody you're going on a date and you don't know is that person autistic does that person have someone who's autistic in their family or have they seen the film Rain Man once and it's a big decision to make will I share this information what are their assumptions what will this close doors to me okay um so does autism make relationships harder <laughs> to ask it in a blunt way? <laughs> I, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about this because, you know, when you're thinking about this, what makes our relationship diff- different? Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, there's differences in my personality that I'm inevitably influence the relationship. Like I was, for example, one, one example would be that I stim a lot. I've been taught talked to you about this before but stimming is this repetitive action you do in order to calm down so I can be out and about in Dublin having a conversation with Daniel and next thing I'm 100 metres ahead of him having run down the road on my tiptoes so it's a mode of self-regulation you don't have any control over Um, there's assumptions people make again so I would actually say I'm the more extroverted person in the relationship he'd be the more introverted person but I still very much need personal time I don't do well being like with other people all of the time so it would be important for me to have times of the day times of the weekend where I'm by myself and yeah, I, which a lot of people would probably uh, identify exactly. with that and I think you know part of the challenge with autism sometimes is I think we pathologize everything so anything that a person might need comes back to oh it must be because he's autistic so you know if we choose the Malbec yeah. to go at the main course at the wedding people will say oh, that must be an autistic <laughs> thing all autistic <laughs> yeah. people like Malbec people <laughs> okay. make these sort okay. of assumptions okay yeah. So do you know where you end and and uh, autism begins or is it? 
is it all boned up together? And I think that's that's why we use the language of an autistic person. You yeah. know, I'm a person with a bottle of water now because I'm holding the water in my hand. But when I put it down, I no longer am. I can't do that with my autism. It's my identity. It's how I process the world. And therefore, it's 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 as much a part of me as being Irish or being gay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, as a teenager for you, growing up, and we all went through this kind of awkward time, your hormones are out of control and you start fancying people and everything. Did being autistic make that more complicated? Yeah, I think being a teenager is probably one of the hardest times of being autistic. Yeah. Um, I talk about it as if people can think of that area in Dublin Airport where there's the hard ground or there's the travel area you can walk on. And it felt a little bit like for me when I was a teenager, everyone else was kind of calmly on the travel later and I was kind of sprinting on the hard ground next to trying to keep up so whether that was making friends for the first time going out independently for the first time beginning to think about dating for the first time all of those things came a little bit later for me and it's a very confusing time because being a teenager you, it's all about wanting to fit in and be the same as everybody else and there was definitely part of that for me so in my early teenage years it's hard to believe now I hated people knowing I was autistic because I just wanted to be the same but by the same virtue, to be the same, that means embracing lots of change. It means pushing boundaries. It means breaking rules. And that was something that never appealed to me as an autistic person. I like structure and routine. And when I was a child, I used to ask my mom to promise that none of me or my siblings would ever grow up and leave the house. So there's that really weird contradiction when you're a teenager, uh-huh. wanting to be the same. But that means embracing change. And that's very challenging. Yeah. And did, did realising you were gay make it more complicated then? Yeah, I think it did. And I suppose, though, for me, one of the things that's that's interesting. So I came out just a few days after the referendum results. So, you know, you, you got that nod from the public and it gave you the, the confidence okay. to do it. But in a, in a sense, once I actually did the coming out and it all went very well, obviously, was it, it was never as big an issue for me, actually, as, as telling somebody that I was autistic or coming to terms with that, because I think that's it's definitely been the more dominant aspect of my life, if you like. Uh, you know, it's really defined my life from special education to, you know, moving to mainstream to making friends for the first time. And, you know, for me, as a result, going through that process of having to get comfortable telling people you're autistic was a much more challenging thing than having to say... I'm gay. And I think that's because, you know, sometimes when I talk to other autistic advocates, we have to look at this, you know, the gay rights movement is a a very established movement now and it's made huge progress. The neurodiversity movement is a much younger movement. It maybe dates from the sometime in the 1990s. So really, there's still so much stigma. There's still so much attitudes to be changed. We're a community of people where 85% of people are still unemployed or underemployed. So we're coming from a much lower base and that makes the stigma much greater as a result. And then in terms of like, let's not get too much into like notions of, of intersectionality and everything. But so, uh, you know, if you want, there are two kind of uh, identities there, the, the, the gay and, and the uh, atypical. Do, I, I, do the two of them clash or do they kind of merge quite well or is it complicated? Well, I think one of the things that's that's definitely interesting is, uh, you know, Obviously, my day job is all about making the world more accessible for autistic people. And I actually think that uh, for me, certainly when you coming out for the first time, a lot of the LGBT community spaces aren't necessarily the most autism friendly spaces. You know, they can be very loud, very filled. Think about pride. It's full of colour, full of people. And as a result, that's not always an easy experience for autistic people. Uh, You know, very early on. I found that environment quite challenging. And as a result, you know, uh, thankfully met Daniel in a different setting, which was more relaxing and comfortable for me. 
Okay. Is there is there a gay autistic scene like within the gay scene or within the autistic scene or is there well, crossover there? One of the positive things that we're seeing is more and more autistic people coming out. Uh, you know, there is a huge crossover between the LGBT community and the autistic community. Is there more so like than... There's lots of different research on this, but certainly when we talk to our colleagues in lots of LGBT organisations, they will talk about the very large numbers of autistic young people uh, who, who do come, who are coming out, uh, who, who have questions about their sexuality or their gender. So I think it's really important among the positive things I think has happened is the conversations opening up and there's a realisation that, you know, inclusion is about including everybody. So it's really important for as I am to know how to support an LGBT young person who might access their services. It's really important for an LGBT organisation to understand how it can support an autistic person accessing their services. Um, is Are there still issues around... Um, <coughs> excuse me. So technically you have a... a Disability. Are there still issues around your uh, kind of agency in terms of having sex, relationships, marriage, all that kind of thing? Well, thankfully for me, that there isn't. I'm somebody who's recognised as having full capacity, and that's okay. that, that obviously gives me the the same opportunities as everybody else. I get asked questions like this, you know, when I visit schools sometimes, and you give the talk, and younger children will want to know. So, are you allowed to drive a car, or are you allowed to have a relationship? Mm-hmm. And that is something people wonder about. Unfortunately, more generally speaking, we have a a situation in society where Ireland has been extraordinarily paternalistic in its approach to disability. Obviously, at the moment, Victorian legislation is still what governs capacity in this country in terms of the, the Lunacy Act and the wardship system. Thankfully, we now have a date, uh, I think it's next month, in which the, it was just announced last week, in which the assisted decision-making service, will, will, the decision support service will take effect. And that will mean we'll hopefully move away from a system of presuming that people don't have capacity and denying people bodily autonomy towards this position where we're supporting people to make decisions. Okay, so you don't have to apply to the wardship of court in order to do whatever you want to do in your life, right? Good to hear it. Um, Okay, so again, no, uh, nosy, but again, just to assure people, you're happy to talk about about this. On the dating scene for autistic people... if they're on Tinder, Grindr, all these kind of things, is is that all much more difficult for autistic people to navigate that kind of world? Well, I think it's the, the challenge with it is there's no rule book. And that yeah. I think is what can make many social situations more challenging for, for autistic people who think in a, in a very different way. Uh, you know, there was a very famous book a few years ago called The Rosie Project uh, and it was a New York Times bestseller and it was a fiction series, but it was all about this autistic man who just wanted a set of rules uh, that he could follow and then would have a wife or would have a girlfriend. Yeah. And there is no such manual. It's that grey area that I think makes it very challenging. There is that stigma and that nervousness of do I tell or do I not tell the person that I'm autistic? Uh, there is the reality that it's an invisible difference, uh, but sometimes those differences can become visible, whether that's stimming, whether that's a person who may choose to communicate by not making eye contact. So I think all of that can be very, very challenging. Generally speaking, you know, you can't bring about a situation where you make friends for somebody. You can't bring about a situation where you, you find somebody to date. But what I think you can do is create an environment where that's easier and certainly yeah. for me and for many autistic people I think that comes around shared interests special interests where that that anxiety around small talk is removed and you can okay. actually talk about something that you your knowledge about you get comfortable and when that comfort comes that's when opportunities open okay and are autistic young people getting the the kind of spaces and the opportunities and the kind of uh, you know 
know, places where that can happen for them. Well, one of the things that we're really proud of and as I am really arising out of the pandemic and we saw the social isolation in the community, autistic people are four times more likely to experience social isolation. Mm. And we know that has such an impact on life expectancy, well-being, mental health. So we've set up both for children and young people and for adults, a whole range of group based supports. And these aren't therapeutic sessions. They're things like Mario Kart Club, Lego Club, History Club, uh, creating a space where people can come together around shared interests, have those social opportunities and have the same chance to make friends and to live independently. Yeah. You mentioned there like about people not making eye contact and stuff like that and uh, in a dating situation. It makes me think of flirting must be a nightmare in a way because it's almost as if it's set up to bamboozle autistic people. People aren't saying what they mean. <laughs> They're communicating non-verbally a lot and they're often even communicating non-verbally to say the opposite of what they really... I mean, I, th- I don't think a lot of typical people are fully mastered. <laughs> well, well, I'm just thinking, you know, one of the messages we try and give in As I Am, you know, is if we could just be a little bit more autism friendly, a little bit clearer, a little bit more structured, yeah. that's actually good for everyone. And I think listeners at home would probably realise, gosh, if we actually just park that stuff, it would help autistic <laughs> people. But I don't think anyone would really miss it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, um, you mentioned stimming a couple of times and you've explained very well what it is. It, it kind of almost to cool down the motor a little mm-hmm. bit and stuff. And look, I'll probably ask you this the wrong way and I know you, you'll forgive me, but I was uh, I was in a situation recently, right? It was kind of a family restaurant situation. And there was a kid standing next to me and he was, it was, I have to say, in a way, quite beautiful, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. not trying to romanticise this or anything, but it was almost balletic, right? But he's in the middle of the room, standing up, stimming, mm-hmm. practically conducting an orchestra, and I thought, nobody nobody batted an eyelid. You could see the odd person glancing and everything. And I did think, five years ago, yeah. would that have happened? Have we come a long way in, in the last few years? Well, first of all, when you say it's beautiful, it does actually feel that beautiful as well. It's does it? Yeah. It's so it's okay, to, it's okay uh, to appreciate the <laughs> aesthetics of it, is uh, it? Absolutely. It's it, it's a beautiful experience. What I would say... Is it a, be- is it a beautiful experience? Absolutely. It's the, probably when I'm happiest. It's it's a state of flow, if you like. It's, it's yeah. a total release. Um, it feels a little bit like an out-of-body experience. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's something really positive and it's an example of something that for so long people have put energy into trying to fix something that didn't need to be fixed it was it's it's a really so were you try, was it constantly like having to try not to flap your hands in front of people and not trying for not a long to... time that was the emphasis trying to make autistic people look more like neurotypical people yeah. instead of embracing it but what I would say is I think we've made a lot of progress in terms of you know I think we can probably all think about seeing a child in the supermarket and, and stimming and, and hopefully not pay, paying any attention where I think there's still a lot of work to be done is I get an opportunity to do a little bit of market research on this because I'm out and about I do it and I would say there isn't a week where somebody wouldn't mimic it, uh, shout at you in, in the street. Uh, w- recently I was doing it in my office, which has a window that looks out onto a car park. And when I kind of came to, I looked out and there was a group of girls recording me. Uh, so it doesn't bother me, but that would be enough for other autistic people to lose their independence or to really have a major, I suppose, knock in self-confidence. So I think, yes, we've gotten very understanding of children doing it. Mm. When we see a man in a business suit doing it, we we, we stare, we, we slag, or okay. sometimes we think drink or drugs. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. What I think is really important is we do an attitude to autism poll every year and in every question from romantic relationships to uh, making friends with something, 
as somebody 18 to 25 year olds have the most progressive attitudes. So inclusive education is important for the here and now. But what it actually will do is create a society in which people grow up together and see these differences as normal because they are. OK, so the prejudice is going to age out ultimately. Hopefully, it? that's yeah. the age. It's, it's like a sectarian head count, OK? <laughs> um, is, is autistic, it's funny, you mentioned about there that people are kind of getting used to seeing children and all that. Uh, is, is the general autistic identity kind of changing as well and becoming a kind of a broader notion? I think one of the really positive things we've seen over the last even 10 years is a real shift in the research around understanding autism and a much broader understanding of what autism is. The reality is that the stereotypical vision of autism, you know, 20, 30 years ago was a white middle class boy. And we're now finally reaching a point whereby research is actually beginning to look at, oh, well, maybe the fact that none of the early research looked at autistic women, maybe that's why we have so few uh, women who are diagnosed. Maybe the fact that we haven't done enough to reach uh, ethnic minority groups, that there's a lower rate diagnosis within those communities. So one of the things that I think is, is happening is there's a much broader understanding, you know, a few years ago, we would have said maybe said one in 65 children within the education system. We're now talking about 3.3% of children. And I think this is an important point because people might go, oh, so is autism on the rise? No, support is on the rise. When we can identify somebody early on who's having mm-hmm. these differences and give that support, we can enable independence. The sad thing is for many, many generations, we had essentially lost generations of autistic people, people who grew up thinking they were stupid, thinking they were broken, uh, feeling really low, experiencing mental health trauma, masking their experiences just because nobody understood. So I think one of the really positive things we're seeing is more and more people coming forward for diagnosis. And that includes adults with many, many autistic people, autistic women accessing diagnosis in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But we need to do more to support in many respects, people who access adult diagnosis have been let down by the system. Have they? There's still no public pathway to diagnosis. It's a very expensive process. And that means even as a result, the, the, the adult diagnosis that we're seeing now aren't representative of the whole story because it's people who can't afford it. Okay. Okay. Now, it does beg another question, which I know that some say like parents who have children who have very challenging uh, behaviour, maybe and very, very challenging issues in general will say, but like, is the definition getting broader and broader here that we have these, you know, a lot of highly functional kind of adults now saying, yes, I've got autism and everybody then tends to think, OK, so being autistic is just a thing people live with, whereas we know there's a huge spectrum. Mm-hmm. here. And so I wonder, is it is the phrase too much of a, is the word too much of a catch all I don't at, at this stage? I don't believe so once we understand it correctly because okay. in a sense the word neurotypical is a much broader catch-all catch it's yeah. 97% of people so I, I think the I think the reality You know what I'm talking oh, about absolutely. about parents of children to get totally. frustrated at, at this sometimes And I think to be honest what's happened in recent years like a lot of issues is this has become too divisive and it's too one way or the other. I think what the diagnostic manual recognises is there is different levels of support required within the community. You know, everyone who hacks, the test, if you like, for an autism diagnosis at present is that you require some degree of support. But there's a recognition that there's some people within the community who require very substantial support, who will never live independently, who will always have significant support needs. What I think one of the strengths of our community as it grows is we actually 
together can mobilize to secure those supports okay. you know because even though uh, the challenges experienced might be different very often what's underpinning them is is common experiences and you know when you're trying to progress policy change when you're trying to progress societal change the the stronger the movement is the broader movement in my opinion okay lots of texts um somebody here says got confirmation on friday that my son is autistic thank you for this uplifting story that's interesting now that person is likely to have been possibly devastated by that confirmation aren't they and then on the other hand does that make you kind of sad that they would be devastated by it I, it wouldn't make me feel in any way judgmental of them because I yeah. think we're all on a journey and for yeah. that family they've just entered a whole new world yeah. and probably have faced a lot of barriers I mean the words our families are most used to hearing is no sorry I can't yeah. help you the wrong place what I would say is uh I hope this has been uplifting, but we're also there to support. We have an autism information line. We have post-diagnosis support programs for families. And you don't have to do this on your own. As I am, we'll say yes, and we'll do what we can to support you if you want to get in touch. Okay. Brendan, your guest speaks so well as a man in my 50s. I feel he really helped me better understand autism and the challenge face. Congratulations, Adam, on his engagement, says another. Texter, he's an inspiration. Love listening to him any time he's interviewed. I've learned so much from him. Love his passion. Would love to see him. Following the brother into the Department of Health. <laughs> okay. Adam is a wonderful advocate for inclusive communication. The work he's doing is so progressive and holistic. Thank you for that, says Roisin and Gollum. Brendan, the dating questions are awkward for everyone. When was the last time you were on any dating sites? <laughs> Thank you, Adam, for being exactly as you are. Uh, an email. Why is it so expensive for adults to get diagnosed? This emailer here says there it's costing 2000 euros to have her 18 year old daughter diagnosed yeah i've heard rates slightly lower than that maybe around the 850 euros mark but it's hugely hugely expensive and one of the things we're campaigning for there is a national autism strategy due this year and we need to secure a public pathway for adult diagnosis that just needs to happen and it's totally unacceptable that it's not there at the moment okay so listen are you, are you planning a wedding will it be a would it be a neurodiverse friendly wedding well we certainly know how to do accessible events yeah. and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, yeah, there'll be autistic people there. Uh, but ex again, I think one of the funny things is, you know, at, at any wedding you've ever been at, uh, once the DJ goes on, a certain cohort of people leave the room. Uh, so I think, you know, again, these measures can benefit everybody. We're going to have it in County Cork uh, where we met and probably in the latter half of next summer. Okay, Adam Harris of As I Am, congratulations again. And look, thank you as always. And I know I can be clumsy in how I ask the That's things. That's what I'm but, here for. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're very, uh, very tolerant of all of us. Okay, Adam Harris, thank you. We'll take a break. Email brendan at rte.ie.